As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Three in a row. Three. We're like the podcast Iron Man rants, right? Did we do three straight days of recording at any point in the bubble? I can't. Like we were. I remember all the time, but I. I'm not sure that we ever knocked out three in a row like we have this week. I. Yeah, I, I don't think we ever have done three in a three in a row. But look, it was a lot of fun. Like I enjoyed it. I could go every day with you, JPAD. No problem. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah. Uh, look, when we were on yesterday on the Wednesday edition of the podcast, we had Justin McElroy from CBC did a deep dive, sort of on COVID. Yesterday, we just stepped back. We addressed the situation. Talked a little bit more about Tanner Pearson, and I'm sure his name will come up as this pod goes along. And we were in agreement on the second of our three pods this week, that it was time. It was time to hear from the Vancouver Canucks. And sure enough, once we finished recording, the team put out its statement yesterday uh, in the words of team physician Jim Bavard. And credit to the Canucks. I I I thought it was a terrific statement. I I thought in that moment, I thought they answered a lot of the questions. There's privacy issues that they can't get into all the details. But where we were left to speculate and there was some confusion and Dr. Bonnie Henry had been brought in about the variant and who knew what and all the, I thought that message was on point. So credit to the Canucks top to bottom. It was time and I thought they hit the mark with the statement they released. I agree. And it was a really important thing to set a baseline of truth and fact to end any speculation um, you know, it, it, I'm really glad that they did it. I'm really glad they put it out. I think it gave, first of all, I, I felt validated myself. Um, you know, I felt that my reporting had been on point. Uh, I felt that matched a lot of what I'd been writing about over the course of four or five days with some people, you know, suggesting that things were wrong or you were sensationalizing it. And, you know, of course we weren't. Um, so, you know, I felt the statement gave those reporters, those among us who've been sort of in the trenches trying to handle this in a civic-minded way, delicately, 
um, you know, with compassion for the people that we cover and care about and have relationships with who are sick at the moment. Um, you know, I, I felt like the, it, it sort of validated that work. Um, and I really appreciated it. And, and I also think it was significantly in the public interest and continued transparency, particularly on the subject of that genome sequencing and whether, in fact, this is the P1, which is the working assumption of the Canucks and the NHL. Uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be vital in the days and, and weeks ahead. By the way, JPAT, look, I don't have this confirmed. I wasn't going to tweet it, but asked around a little bit this morning. And I do think there's optimism. Uh, like, I, I don't have, again, I don't have this confirmed tweet, but I do want to mention, I, I do think there's optimism that no additional tests have flipped from negative to positive. So uh, I'm hopeful that we're going to start to be on the back end of this, you know, hellish outbreak that the Canucks have endured over the past nine days. Hallelujah to that, because uh, Nate Schmidt was the latest to join. The list got up to 19 uh, off the active roster. Of course, the Taxi Squad guys, too. Uh, I mean, just, the virus is running out of options on the active roster. I think it was Besser, it was Miller, it was Jimmy VC and and Jordy Ben, uh, who obviously started the season in protocol as well. But I mean, those were the four uh, that haven't been afflicted this time around, and and Nate Schmidt made nineteen. So uh, you know, they they need some good news. The, the organization needs some good news. They need to start the the healing and the recovery process. I mean, the healing's begun, but the the recovery so that we can start to turn our attention to you know, the what if and the when. And, and we speculated yesterday on the pod that that game against the Leafs on the 17th might just be the game that the league had its eye on. And sure enough, uh, I saw Darren Dreger, among others, pointing to that one throughout the day as well. So it uh, seems like that maybe is gaining a little momentum. Now, what kind of lineup the Canucks could possibly ice? Who's healthy? Who's available? What kind of shape? What kind of mishmash of NHL, taxi squad, AHL call-ups? Like, there's a fascination. It's sort of a morbid fascination, I guess, because I, I want competitive balance when they get back to playing, and, and maybe that's asking too much. But like, I, I would really be curious to see what that kind of lineup would look like against a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, and that and that's really where we're going to get into some really tough questions for the league here, too. If the Canucks are to resume their season and finish it out and play 19 games over a very short stretch of game days, like 27 or or something ridiculous like that between the 17th of April and the 13th or 14th of May, um, you know, like, if they come back and get smoked, 9 nothing, 7-2 by the Maple Leafs, and then again... Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. You, you can't tell me that this team should, having gone through what they've gone through, go through a Buffalo Sabres-like run to end their season. Like, you can't tell me that that's in the best interest of anybody here. Um, so so we'll see. It's going to be really tricky to navigate this the right way um, in the days and the weeks ahead for the NHL. Uh, but let's just hope that, you know, in the meantime, uh, players... Uh, staffers, uh, coaches, uh, anyone who's been sick or laid low by this virus makes a full recovery, uh, that people get on the mend in a hurry. Um, and then, uh, and then we can worry about that. I think I, th I I'm still waiting like 48 hours for pr produce two days of tests with no additional positives. And, and then I'll begin to sort of look with more intent toward the future. But I, I don't see how finishing a season at 56 games, does anything to protect the competitive integrity or the integrity of, of a season that 
you know, has been played on more unequal footing than any season in the history of the NHL to this point, um, just based on a variety of different local restrictions, uh, and that will only escalate in terms of the competitive unfairness that teams are working through, particularly as, you know, the CDC issues a tri- travel advisory to Americans not to visit Canada, <laughs> right? Yeah. While, while America is majority vaccinated, the majority of American teams ap- seem to be vaccinated at this point. And, you know, they're all competing for the same trophy in the middle of a global pandemic with contenders like the Winnipeg Jets and Toronto Maple Leafs in Canada that are completely unvaccinated. Like, it doesn't make sense. And so to insist in that environment that the Canucks have to play 56, like, to me, that is absurd. Absurd to the point of cruel. Wanted to shout out Andy. Andy from England. He, he tweeted to the two of us, as a UK health worker and a Canucks fan, thanks for your measured, supportive, and compassionate coverage of the COVID outbreak in Vancouver. It's really important that these issues are being taken as seriously as you guys have. So to Andy, uh, who's uh, a pharmacist in Bristol, according to his uh, Twitter profile, uh, thanks for the kind words and thanks for... The support of the pod, listening yeah. uh, over in the UK. So and 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 thanks for working through this, right? Yes, like thanks for thanks so. for everything you've done over the past thirteen months. Um, you know, as a healthcare worker, we we appreciate the work keeping you know everyone not in our community, but in a community near and dear to my heart over uh over in England, uh, safe through this. So thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Farhan Lalji of TSN here in Vancouver joining us on the VanCast. He's back on the VanCast, a noted VanCast supporter. Now, Farhan, before we get into the events of the last week and COVID and the Canucks and everything else, uh, as you know, the landscape in this market has changed greatly here in the last week or so. Uh, A lot of my former 1040 colleagues have popped up with their own projects. Uh, I hope we don't lose you as a VanCast superfan in all of this. No, you won't, but it's been interesting for me kind of watching it from this side because, you know... I felt for the longest time like I was part of a, a bigger team and you guys were part of that. And not just because I would listen to you all the time on my runs, but, you know, you obviously, Jeff, you're were, you were full time at TSN and Thomas, you were one of the most important contributors that station had. And, you know, we, we have a, the three of us have kind of a, a group text thing that we go through every now and again and have some laughs and share some insights. And, and honestly, like I, I felt like I had a lot of teammates in the industry, even though I was the only person on the TV side. Now I feel like I'm a lone wolf. So it's, I'm thrilled you guys even want to talk to me. And I'm not, I say that only half jokingly, right? Because uh, you guys are friends beyond the colleague part, but like both of you have roles at the competition now. And it's completely changed in ways I couldn't have imagined. And look, I am thrilled for Sakaris and Price. I'm thrilled for Donnie and Dolly. I'm thrilled for you guys that you found another uh, platform because, you know, you're, as knowledgeable as anybody in the industry, especially as it relates to the Canucks, you guys need to have that platform. But I didn't, I, I don't have it anymore on, on 1040. And that was a big part of, of what I did. Uh, so it's, it's completely changed for me. So I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you on this way to local listeners. 
Well, okay, this is the standing invitation then. Right here, right now, a standing invitation to the VanCast has been granted to Farhan Lalji. We've never done this yeah. before, but uh, anytime, <laughs> anytime you just hit us up in the group chat and we would be delighted to bring you on. Uh, it's been an extraordinary... Oh, be careful what you wish for, guys. <laughs> <laughs> is it a standing invitation or a jogging invitation, though, in yeah. Farhan's case, right? We'll have, well, to, we'll have to figure out the pace of it. Remember the old days when we used to be able to go in, I think it was under the Crawford era when we would be able to go into the workout room and get guys on their bikes. Right. Those were good times. (laughs) Uh, An extraordinary week, obviously. Yesterday, Tom and I, when we recorded, it was sort of marking, you know, seven full days since the Canucks had last been on the ice. So we're now into the second week of, of all of this. When you reflect back to uh, the practice that Gaudette was hauled off of, and then the next day that that morning skate ahead of the game against Calgary that was then postponed. You know, what stands out for you uh, as this story has developed? Well, guys, I I think on a couple of levels, right? This just kind of jumps out at you because first of all, it's just to hit so close to home, right? I mean, early on in the process, uh, just politically, forget the Canucks, but and COVID, and when the NHL goes through this at the start of the year, and you get the Dallas Stars with a number of positive cases and a pause on their season for a couple of weeks. And we think, well, of course, right. It's, it's text. This is the United States. They don't take this as seriously as we do. This would never happen in Canada. And then we went virtually a full season with the North division Uh-oh. being cleaned. I mean, you had the Canucks at the start of the year with Ben and Miller, but then after that, it took a long time before we saw a couple of cases in Montreal. And then all of a sudden it happens in Vancouver so quickly. And you know, Adam Gadet gets pulled off the ice. Thankfully, Drancer's there to document that that day. And and um, the Canucks, you know, were transparent about it at the front end. And then, you know, very quickly we get one more case the next day. And then it goes to eight. And then it doubles right after that. And we think, wow, this is unbelievable that this has happened so quickly. And now you look around the entire sports world, not just the National Hockey League. And I don't think any sports team, period, has had the number of cases the Vancouver Canucks have had. So just unbelievable to see how quickly it's happened to people that we know as closely as we cover this team and, um, you know, just uh, what the league is going to try to do going forward, being this close to the end of the season and how they choose to handle it. Farhan, when you think about hockey, right, and you think about playing on the ice surface and, and the fact that, you know, there's only one support staff or no injured players, like if you didn't step on the ice in that Canucks facility on Tuesday and Wednesday your chances of transmission appear to have been negligible, right? If you were on the ice, it was catastrophic spread. What challenges do you think that poses for the North Division over the next eight weeks, particularly as, you know, vaccinations are unlikely to get to the NHL teams in Canada um, prior to the conclusion of at least the first two rounds of the playoffs based on the timelines we're all looking at and, you know, the, the third wave as we're seeing it? Yeah, I think it's a big concern, and it goes to show, you know, as you pointed out uh, in your column, that the guys that are support staff generally that uh, that don't step on the ice are, are fully masked. They're certainly masked a lot more than, than everybody else, and uh, it matters, right? I mean, that level of exposure matters. Indoor activity matters. I mean, I went through this in February. My son's hockey team, 12 of the 14 players on that team over one weekend all tested positive in all three coaches, right? And these were, uh, you know, 12-year-old kids, right? So... I saw how fast it happens with with indoor sport activity. And when you're on the ice, you're not masked. You're not as protected. So I I think it's a real concern. And I think the league's got to take a real look at how they want to handle this because, you know, you have it internally between teams. But what you don't want to run into is one team passing it off to another team, right? I mean, you know, imagine, 
in a three nothing series, you go play in game four and one team has it and gives it to another and everybody gets impacted. You've got to review your protocols. Look at what happened with the Canucks in terms of um, a test result coming back versus when players were allowed on the ice for a practice, right? So all of those things need to get tightened up and need to get reviewed. But I think the NHL is in a is in a world of hurt. And I don't know if there's any way from a corporate standpoint they can find a way to get these players vaccinated. And really, even if they can, I mean, they say it's going to take three to four weeks for a vaccine to take hold, right? So that that in itself is is problematic. Whereas you look around the NHL and you see teams like Vegas and other teams getting fully vaccinated right now. They're they're in a fortunate position that they can do this. And, and from a vaccine standpoint, we're so far behind as a country. Uh, I think every North division team's got a lot to worry about right now. How do you think the issue that, you know, as you just described it, as I've just described it, impacts competitive integrity? Like we're about to see a lot of chatter about, you know, the competitive integrity and the meaning of having the Canucks conclude a 56 game season. But how do you really compete for the same championship during a global pandemic when one team's majority vaxxed and the other isn't? Like, it just seems insane to me. It, it seems the same to me. And I just think they're holding their breath, right? And they're finding they're, they're going to try to convince themselves that they can uh, keep this under wraps and prevent team to team transmission. Imagine being the first team the Vancouver Canucks play. So, you know, you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. And right now they're looking at possibly April 17th and that game happening. How much is that organization holding its breath? How much is the entire league holding its breath to see what happens a week after the Canucks and Leafs play, right? And certainly, you know, you're going to get all the medical protocols and the timing and everything that we know. But one thing we do know is that we don't know everything, right? And I, I think there's risk there. And I think everybody's kind of holding their breath. I think, truthfully, the responsible thing for this league to do is not have the Canucks finish out their schedule uh, because you just don't want to have additional risk. You know, the integrity of a 56-game schedule matters a lot less than, you know, the integrity of the playoffs and how much those games matter. Like you say, I mean, you know, let's look at this from the standpoint of what the Canucks are going to attempt to do. Right now, they've got 23 days left from the 17th to the 11th. And you're going to try to play 19 games during that stretch. And they wanted to end the season on the 8th, but they're going to let it roll out till what they hope the start of the playoffs should be in, in terms of the 11th. And you still don't know if the Canucks are actually going to play on the 17th. That's not a guarantee. So what type of team are the Canucks going to be able to ice at that point with you know, they, they came off a bye, essentially a six-day break from games, if not game play, before this COVID break. So, you know, you might see a team that, that hasn't played a hockey game in four weeks coming into a game off three days practice. Uh, you know, and these are all just kind of guesstimates on timeline right now and, and certainly worst case scenarios that are being thrown out there. So you're not going to have a legitimate team or, or you know, a, a team that's in great shape to play. Um, you know, you look at that and and put that against uh, what those games are going to mean for the opponent versus what they meant a month ago when the Canucks were healthy and playing well and, and on a pretty good run in, in March, right? So you look at the competitive integrity there and, and, and what, how it could impact playoff positioning, how it could impact those teams that are playing in the playoffs going forward. You, you just wonder at what point is it worth it for the league, which has lost a lot of money. Look, it's not my money um, to say, okay, we're going to give up some TV money and give that back and not have all of this happen. So I think the solution then is, <laughs> and you got to work with me here, but it's an endless runway. Like just because the playoffs start, the Canucks and the Flames and the Senators won't be a part of it. So you let the championship bracket go over here and then you schedule the Canucks and the Flames and you, you make those games up 
And then after that, the Canucks play Ottawa. Those four games remaining against the Senators. You could have the Senators and the Canucks going at it in a completely mean-nothing affair over on one side, and they basically would be up against like Colorado-Vegas in a second-round playoff matchup or Tampa-Carolina. I'm not sensing your excitement and intrigue for that proposal. Not at all. And and honestly, (laughs) like what happened last year in the bubble, right? Like They had a, a set number of teams kind of play over here on the side. And those yeah. games happened with very little meaning. Yeah, there was seeding, but nobody cared, right? I mean, they didn't always play their full rosters. They essentially treated those like exhibition games. So um, why couldn't you do that here, right? Like, if you want to play those games and it matters that much to you, why not call them what they are? And, you know, the, the Flames are going to play themselves out of contention the way things are going for them right now. We know the Sens are out of it. We know the Canucks are out of it. Like, why not just let the playoff start and in, in the North Division and have these meaningless games on the side anyway because they've done it once before. And if you're just doing it for television rights and you could say, well, draft seating is, is what's at stake here. So, you know, we're like it, it matters. And it really doesn't matter any more than those extra games that were played uh, you know, when the play-in round was happening. So I don't know. I'd rather do it that way and at least put the players in a somewhat healthy environment because you've given them enough break, enough of a break to to play those games, right? As opposed to holding up the North Division. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, we're not going to care when we essentially know those games are meaningless. Why not just call them meaningless and do it that way? Hey, for 19 guys on the Canucks COVID list, let's hope that we've reached the end. We're running out of candidates. Uh, but there are 19 as we record this. Of those 19, like whose story would you most be interested in hearing? Like if, if the Canucks were to offer up one of the guys that was on this list, is there one in particular that jumps out at you that you'd like to talk to to sort of find out what he's been through here in the past week? Well, Travis Hamannick, right? I mean, uh, given the fact that this guy sat out and didn't play in the bubble and, you know, has some real family concerns uh, as it relates to, you know, their respiratory health. Uh, yeah, I, I totally want to hear how he's feeling about all of this. I mean, and we don't know if some of these guys are going to opt out again. And, and, you know, I wouldn't blame Travis Hamannick if he did, unless he kind of feels that, well, we've kind of been through it now and it's behind us. But what about Adam Gadette, who was the first? And um, we don't know for sure that he was the one case that was, you know, put forward in their release, right? Where, uh, you know, got it through community transmission at a location where, it was deemed that there was, you know, multiple cases, right? So was it him? Is there a certain level of, um, and I don't want to single Adam Gaudet out, right? Like in, in terms of breaking that story sure. like yep. that, but just how do you feel emotionally if there's a thought in your mind that you were the first and brought it into the locker room, right? Like all of those ideas are, are kind of at play, but it probably would, would start with Hamannick and, and maybe go to Gaudet. Can the Canucks and do you expect the Canucks to be at all competitive? on the other side of this. No, you know, and and look, they know right now going into it that they're out of it. Right. I mean, those two Winnipeg games sealed what the three of us knew was going to happen regardless. Right. Um, When we spoke to some of the players, including JT Miller, right before they were to play uh, the Calgary game, they talked about no pressure being on us right now. Right. That's indicative of a team that kind of understands where it's at right now. So, you know, do all of a sudden they convince themselves over the course of a break that now we can just turn this around and really put a reset on the season and get into it? No. Um, is there going to be just a minimal amount of time to prepare for the games that lie ahead? You know, like that's going to be tough. So I think they know what they're up against. And if they come out of this and 
physically, you just can't expect them to be ready those first two to three games. And let's say they lose two of those three, then they really know the writing and the math is on the wall. Um, yeah, and, and then emotionally they check out. I remember the well, the last year that Kevin Bieksa played for the Canucks and they missed the playoffs, okay? Mm-hmm. We're sitting there asking questions those last few games, uh, you know, knowing that they're out of it. We're trying to lead the witness, as it were, to suggest that they know they're out of it. And then they get angry, saying, we're not out of it until the math says we're out of it. We're not out of it. We're going to play this game. And, you know, and then at the end of the season, Kevin's like, how could you guys be asking us about this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're the guy that said these games still matter when we all knew that they didn't. You know, and we had, a, and he looked at me, he's like, yeah, you're right. And we kind of had a laugh about it, right? They know, they know, no matter what they tell us, they know. And, and that's the hard part because when you, when you get into an adverse moment, it's hard not to realize where you're actually at. I, I'm more interested in seeing, you know, the Cole Lins or the Jack Rathbones of the world if we actually get to see them in a Canuck uniform because they'll give us something. But, you know, I'm not looking for this team to be competitive. I'm just looking to get certain answers about certain questions re- regarding specific players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to see what we have going forward, right? I, I, I want to know what Travis Boyd is with this team, right? Because I've had people that are, that are close to the Leafs say, they made a mistake there. He's got game, right? I, I want to see that, right? I mean, you know, does Jimmy VC have anything here? Like, let, let's see some of those things as opposed to, you know, can they be competitive coming out of the gate? Because they know. Don't let them convince you otherwise. They know. Well, let's switch gears a little bit to some of the hockey news of the day in, in Vancouver over the last 24 hours, uh, particularly as it pertains to Tanner Pearson. Um Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on word that extension talks have heated up and that that's now probably the more likely outcome than a trade ahead of Monday's deadline. Makes me nervous uh, on, a, on a number of levels because, you know, who is Tanner Pearson, right? And I like Tanner Pearson. I like his game. But does where he's at in his career match up with where the Canucks are in their competitive window, which we are now told is a couple of years away, which, you know, certainly looking at the contracts, yeah, it's a couple years away. So at that point, Tanner Pearson's in his 30s. So there's a number of reasons for doing it, right? Um, you know, is he a credible middle six forward? Uh, for sure, right? I mean, you know, this year I want to believe that's not going to happen again in terms of point production. But really, you know, on a good team, he's a third line winger. He's not a second line winger. He's not a guy that should be locked into your top six. So how much are you going to pay him? And if the numbers that we're hearing, um, you know, a three-year deal for Tanner Pearson at, at you know, around $3 million, maybe a little bit less per, uh, makes me nervous because every cap dollar is going to matter for this team, right? And, but at the same time, you know, you, you saw what the reactions were when they got rid of Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev, and do they want the same type of reaction by letting go a respected veteran? You know, but it, it just so lines up with what we've seen to this point from this administration, right? Jim Benning overvalues intangibles. Jim Benning overturns for intangibles. And the Canucks get, you know, have to wear that and get stuck with contracts like Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel, right? And and those are problems. So um, it, it makes me nervous. It also makes me nervous on the second layer of it that does a general manager whose future should be in question get the ability to sign a Thatcher Demko to a five-year deal and then a role player to a three-year deal. What does that tell you about the future of Jim Benning, right? It probably means that they're not making a change there. They're, they're going to bring him back if he gets the opportunity to execute this deal. So, you know, from a number of 
levels, uh, it's a little bit concerning, but sounds like it's going to happen. Well, and, and Tom, jump in here too, because I'm curious to get your thoughts on, uh, uh, like, look, in February, when the owner was forced to take to Twitter and, and offer up his vote of confidence, like the, the seat was hot for somebody, whether it was Travis, whether it was Jim Benning, but things were coming off the rails for the Canucks. They stabilized a little bit. And then they had the month of March, led by Thatcher Demko, and then COVID hit. And, and so, you know, we're a little bit removed from the flames of February. But, I mean, has anything changed in that regard? Like, it, it felt in February like it was inevitable that there would be somebody else calling the shots for the Vancouver Canucks. Do, do you guys think anything has changed there? Like, has it sort of stabilized as far as Jim Benning's future is concerned? So, my opinion on this, really quickly, is I think... Going into the season, after the way that the club navigated the offseason, and particularly with the way that spend was cut, I think there was you know a, a sense that whatever happened, this was not going to be on management and shouldn't be on management. I, I mean, that's how I felt about it, and and I just just reading between the lines, like I don't know this, but I suspect that that matches how the organization had positioned itself. And I think there was real panic with the way that the Canucks started their season. Um, you know, I, I think there was like, if, if guys like Friedman and Satir Shaw and a variety of other super credible, uh, reporters are reporting that ownership was considering things, um, you know, maybe not having direct conversations, but, but certainly having some indirect ones, uh, you know, th then, then there, there's fire there. That's, that's not just like, smoke being reported with no substance. It's not dry ice. That was, that was real. And so, you know, I, I think the, I think things changed. I think it was a surprise. Like, I, I think it, that was the surprise was that maybe ownership was starting to feel a little trigger happy in terms of their expectations not being met. Uh, I think the way that the club performed in February in terms of stabilizing their overall game. I think the way that they started to win games in March, even though it was a complete smoke and mirrors to, to go back to my, I don't know why this is such a smoke filled answer. This is a hot box of a hockey answer, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, despite the fact that, you know, they, they won games in March. I think that sort of sealed uh, just my sense of it. I think that sealed that, that Benning would get, you know, at least another kick at the can with a normal or more normal budget and fans projected to be in the building at some point during the 2021-2022 season. And, you know, I think that's part of what they're looking at with Pearson, right? Like, this team, we know. We know about this Canucks team, right? Like, they are not... Jim Benning can say we're two years away, but that doesn't mean there's not pressure to make the playoffs every single year, especially every single year where there's revenue attached to that, right? Like, that's that's how this club behaves. We know that. Like, we've known that for 15 years. So, you know, I, I sort of think that's the logic underpinning that. And look, there's a there's a real case to be made. Like, the way when you when you lose 20% of your player personnel budget, um, that's that's a pretty big wrench in the wheel, right? Like the Canucks. Uh, PJ did the estimates with Cap Friendly the other day, right? The Canucks had spent the 21st most in the league. Well, you know, <laughs> a perfect market theory would suggest that you should be about the 21st best team. They're currently the 26th, but, you know, if they hadn't had the COVID stoppage, I think they probably do end up in and around uh, mat like where the record matches their spend. Um, Let me ask you a question, yep. Thomas. T tell me why you value like my understanding 
is players are always valued relative to their cap value, relative to their AAV, regardless of how the contracts mm-hmm. are structured. But I, I hear this, that the actual dollars being spent in this particular season, this particular calendar year, um, we factor that in greater. Why Why is that? Because I always view players based on their AV. And you know that's how teams want to slot them in as opposed to this particular year where when those dollars are actually spent, matters more but like shouldn't they shouldn't they be valued based on their well, and they always value? have been right like salary structure has been but but then th- this is a cap team so why, why do we no, do it be, based but, on actual dollars but because it's this? a cap team that is like a soft cap team right like they are a cap team they are at the cap they're in they're above the cap with lti but in terms of the way things have been structured with you know signing bonuses or backloaded contracts and and on and on like cash has been king in terms of how this club has behaved and they've stuck to the cap which has allowed them to be like we're a cap team but in fact you know they were one of the teams that cut the most year over year spend right like in the canadian division the only team that cut year over year spend by a larger percentage um based on the opening night roster was the toronto maple leafs and i mean that's because they came down from like 120 to 90 right and that's and that's all structural deals as opposed to the Canucks, who materially cut spend, lost every single unrestricted free agent, didn't extend their coaching staff. Like it, it's more that it's more that in the Canucks' case, you're talking about a team that, you know, and and honestly, until the Hamannick deal and, and so on and so forth, like the Canucks had cut the 30th most on year over year salary entering training camp, like on January 3rd, um, prior to signing Hamannick. They were looking to be, you know, the team that had cut the most aside from Dallas in year over year spend in the entire NHL. Like that's a huge story for me and a huge indicator. And then you go on and on down the list of, you know, Ian Clark, Travis Green, um, all the other things that this club's declined to spend on this year. And I just think it's a huge story and and crucial context in how we judge Jim Benning's job this year, um, especially because it's not like this club had been able to. Like, this club's not been a team where it's like, your budget is this, spend to it. You know, this is a team that had spent to accrue advantages, right? Like, like Josh Tevis is on a one-year deal, a one-way deal. So is Brogan Rafferty. But those deals, like, allowed them to get those prospects in the system. One worked out, one didn't, or one kind of at least looked like it was going to work out at various times. Um, like, that's the type of ball game that the Canucks have typically been able to play when that gets pulled out from under you following the success in the bubble, like that's going to have significant knock on a knockoff effects on your team, especially when the way you cut salary is completely out of line with the rest of the industry. And, and granted 30 of 31 NHL teams cut year over year budget this season, right? Like cutting budget is not what made the Canucks remarkable. What, what made the Canucks remarkable was the extent of it and how obvious the seams of it were. And, you know, I I do think that that's a big part of the story, um, a big part of why we do have to regard the work of Canucks hockey operations a little bit differently than we usually would. And I'd note, too, that it's created some additional problems, like additional headaches now that the team failed to live up to expectations prior to the coat. Like whatever happens from here on in, I'm not criticizing team performance the rest of the season, obviously. Right. But to this point, had failed to meet expectations and were clearly not a very good team. And the way that they structured some of these deals, which made sense if your goal was to be competitive within the constraints of the budget given to you, are going to come home to roost and actually make improving again next season even more difficult because it's going to be 
really tricky to get off of Jake Vertanen's money without a buyout. It's going to be really too tricky to move Braden Holtby, um, who has $5.7 million. Like, he's a $6 million backup in true cash next year, right? Like, that's... So, so oh, yeah. this is why the cash element has mattered more for the Canucks and more this season than it has in years past. But there are teams, like there are teams in the NHL for whom cash has always been king. It's just that the, for the Canucks, you know, players have always been valued on their cap hits and that's what we've been concerned with because the cash has been secondary for them until this offseason when it became everything you needed to know. And it's just a fascinating dynamic introduced by this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I, I see those numbers, and I just looked at it as a situation where they could have also structured, you know, a Tyler Toffoli deal to net his cap out where it needed to be, but could have potentially backloaded it, not necessarily had, you know, as much cap up front. And and for me, the one the one thing that really stands out is the Travis Green piece, right? Because they refused to spend there, and that was the one deal that made me give pause to Jim Benning's future. Because yes, I understand they don't want to pay the money, but also, you know, there was some school of thought that. You can't sign him without knowing who your general manager. Really is good point, be, right? So, and so when when I looked at that scenario, I thought, okay, well, maybe that also gives them a window to judge management. But ultimately, I think they're not going to want to be paying management extra uh, on the back end because we know that deal is guaranteed now uh, for the for the remaining two years, as far as Jim Benning is concerned. And I think that, as much as anything, is going to keep Jim Benning employed this offseason. All right. Well, let's finish up then with this, uh, and, and I'll play off your last answer there. Of Jim Benning, Travis Green, and Ian Clark, how many are back under the employ of the Vancouver Canucks for next season? Two. One. I think one. Just wow. Jim. Really? Well, okay. and look, well, I, I mean, I still think, I still think, I still think Green. They have a, sh- they have a shot to negotiate um, and to get a settlement with Travis Green. Uh, I think Travis Green's preference remains to stay here, so that you know gives them a leg up in talks. He's local. He's invested a lot in this young group, but I, I do think that that's going to be really complicated based off of how late it's gone, how close uh, Travis has got to free agency at this point. And I think the same goes for Clark, right? Like, I, I think it's tough to, if they're going to change gears, they have to change gears in the next two, three weeks with both both coaches um, and really hammer these out. And And I do think organizationally, they're going to need to get Green done first to get Clark done. Um you know, I, I still I still put Green at about 50-50. I put Clark lower than that. But you have to get Green done, and then you have to get Clark done. And I think both are vital, right? Like, I, I mean, Clark especially. Like, I think the organization should just go ahead and do Clark, to be totally honest with you. Like, they should just get that one done. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, look at look at Frankie Allaire. Like, or sorry, Benoit Allaire in New York, right? Like, Benoit Allaire's been through Tom Rennie, John Tortorella, um, Alain Vigneault, and... David Quinn, he's been the goalie coach there for 15 years through multiple former Canucks head coaches. <laughs> he's doing the Canucks head coach alumni yeah. tour. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. and uh, <laughs> like, you know, he's gotten the best out of all his guys. Like, he's gotten the best out of Lundquist. And, you know, the, the Rangers have developed good backups over that time and on and on. Like, the Canucks just invested $25 million in a young goaltender who has been maximized and managed and developed in part under Ian Clark's tutelage. Like what other business gentlemen would you make a $25 million investment and not spend, you know, significantly less than a 10th of that spend to retain the employee that like manages, maintains and maximizes your output from that investment. Like it's crazy. It's crazy to me. Listen, I, 
I agree with you, and we, we've seen it, and maybe I'm just of the football mind that I can't imagine a head coach not being able to pick his coordinators, right? And so, but but I mean, you're right. It, it's certainly happening in New York. It's certainly happening in, in L.A. I mean, Daryl Sutter's gone. Bill Ranford's still there. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, it happens, and I would do everything I could to not have a different voice in Thatcher Demko's head. But if, if that happens, and I'm, and I'm Travis Green, I am flat out insulted. Uh, that you pick, you prioritize the goalie coach over the head. Yeah, coach, probably it's right. Going to change the dynamic of how much I want in that moment. Well, you got you. They should go do both, but I think both are going to be tricky to get done. I think Jim Benning's back. I don't I, think either of the coaches. They'd are. be, they'd be crazy to not get both done. I and agree with you. Travis has earned the right, extremely valuable, proved his medal in the bubble, and dealing with this particular roster and writing the ship, given the schedule and all the other circumstances, Travis has earned an extension. Agreed. Well, Farhan, terrific stuff. It was long overdue to get you back on the program. And as we said off the top, and we weren't kidding, a standing invite uh, because you're not heard as much as you were in this market. And, and you've got great takes and great insight uh, and have been on this beat uh, as long as uh, just about anybody in the city now. I'm so, second uh, to IMAC. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say you were I, getting I feel on old. years there, but no, no hey, we won't go that. Before we go, can I get a Wallace update? Oh man, Wallace has a a paw problem. Wallace has a paw issue and it's become infected because he's been licking it. So he's in an Elizabethan cone at the moment. I'm so upset. Oh wow. Yeah, like just as the weather improves, I've got to like, you know, not keep him inside, but certainly like limit his outings. And like, I can't go to the beach because I can't let sand and stuff get into his paw. And he's got a cone. Um, he's adjusting to it pretty quickly and he's like such a good dog that he's, you know, I mean, he like had a really tough first two hours, but he slept all night. Uh, he seems to be doing okay this morning. He's kind of getting used to it, but, um, yeah, unfortunately, this Wallace isn't is the Brazilian a- variant. This isn't the Brazilian variant no, of that. Condition, no, but right? basically, and basically if I cover you or, or am your owner, um, you're non-roster at the moment. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's on IR <laughs> seven to 10 days. Um, you know, it's a little more than day to day Farhan. Uh, not quite week to week. Okay. Um, you know, hopeful, hopeful that he'll make a full recovery and be back with our group soon. <laughs> good, good to hear that he's that he's doing well. Yeah. He's out of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you've done! Look what you've done, Farhan! You've worn out your welcome now. Uh, <laughs> but you, now care. we've got come on! I now care. we've got we've got sad Tom to wrap up the plot here. Uh, Hey, good stuff as always. Appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back around the rink here pretty soon. Yeah, let's do it. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks, guys. Some terrific stuff there from Farhan Lalji. And, and we were long overdue to get him on the program. And so uh, we'll get him back now. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we'll make sure that Farhan's part of the rotation here on the VanCast. We're working towards Monday's trade deadline. We talked to Farhan about Tanner Pearson there. Uh, the one thing that isn't really brought up is if they extend Pearson, it has expansion draft implications, right? Like Yes, we, absolutely we it talk, does. We've talked at length about the Canucks having this flexibility that they really have to use. And, you know, and, and I think we've talked about the fact that if you trade Pearson and get an asset, you can use that asset then to go, you know, big game hunting or <laughs> medium-sized game hunting. But Big you know, swing you hunting be, anyway, yeah. Right. But if you keep Tanner Pearson, then you have to protect Tanner Pearson and where does that, I mean, that would be Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller for sure. There's four forwards. Now you had Tanner Pearson and there's still Tyler Mott, Tyler, Tyler Mott, Mott and probably Cole Lind. Right. So there's still some flexibility there, but you know, for yeah. the longest time, longest time people thought Braden Holpe, one year stay and 
you know, he'll wind up in Seattle. I, I don't see that happening now based on his performance and the options nope. that the Kraken are, are going to have. So the Canucks are going to lose somebody in expansion, right? Like we're getting closer to that. It may not be a, you know, it may not be a big piece, but if the Kraken don't go for Braden Holpe, they are plucking somebody off this Canuck roster and just keep that in mind that, you know, you look at some of the options and, and, I mean, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. But again, I, I still think that that's a road that the Canucks need to travel is to use their flexibility ahead of the expansion draft. And if you're locking up Tanner Pearson, then that's one less spot that you're going to have to maneuver here to see what's out there on the open market. It's a good point. And yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the, I mean, that's the the thing with re-signing Tanner Pearson is it's all opportunity cost, right? Like the market will react to the cap valuation, right? In the in the event that the Canucks do go an extra year of term, it's probably going to end up being like a 2-6, 2 like, like maybe they can shave a, a little bit off of a 3 million expected sort of um, landing spot. And people in the market will probably be like, great, you know, like that's cheaper than we expected. Like, yay. Uh, but it's a guy you're, you're buying – a bottom six forwards, 29, 30, and 31 seasons. Like this is inefficient money the moment it's signed and the opportunity cost you're losing is whatever draft pick or asset that he'd return on the trade market, the cap space that will limit your flexibility this summer and the additional protected spot and expansion that makes it more difficult to go out and, you know, take a big swing on a player you can protect and an opponent can't. Um, the, you know, that's all baked in to a Tanner Pearson extension. That's all part of why a Tanner Pearson extension doesn't make a ton of sense for this club at this juncture. Uh, nonetheless, I do expect it to happen before Monday. Uh, but until the ink is drying, you know, we'll see. Countdown is on to the NHL trade deadline on Monday. All sorts of coverage online and in, pod, in podcast format as well. Uh, here at The Athletic, Ian Mendez from The Athletic Hockey Show spends the full 60 with Craig Custance. You can check that one out. Uh, you can check out our comment section for every podcast episode we do at the Athletic app. Also, rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Before we run, we should extend uh, a thanks to uh, the ladies at the Broadcast. It's collaboration season. And we had Sakarisa Price on this podcast last week ahead of their big launch uh, you and I were visitors to the broadcast uh, podcast. I'm not sure. I think it gets posted later this week, but uh, we had some fun doing that last night. Yeah, it was an awesome time. Thanks to uh, all of the ladies for having us. Uh, they do a great job. Like It's a great product. I, I consume it myself, and it was a lot of fun to be a part of it last night with you, J-Pat. And I also did the PDO cast, by the way, with Dimitri. Uh, Dimitri, of course, and I spend a ton of time Damn, together I, these days I, because I, I thought I was everywhere. <laughs> Dimitri and I spend a ton of time these days because our puppies are best friends. Um, so anyway, we did uh, we did some we did some trade proposals, like some fake trade proposals on the PDO cast, and uh, including a Canucks trade proposal. I'll, I'll give it to you. You let me know what you think. You ready? This is sure. um, this is just just for fun. Okay, it's a three way trade. All right. From Vancouver, Tanner Pearson at 50% retained. From Toronto, a 2022 fourth round pick, a 2022 fifth round pick, and defenseman Timothy Lilligren. From Detroit, Stevie's laundromat, 50% <laughs> yeah. retained on Tanner Pearson, 
and Taro Heroes. So to Vancouver, a 2022 fourth, Timothy Lilligren and Taro Heroes, because look, this team's just going to need live bodies, right? Like uh, there, there's no value there except like help us leg, leg through the rest of the season. To Vancouver, a 2022 fourth. Oh, sorry. I already did that. To the Maple Leafs, Tanner Pearson. And Tanner Pearson, having been washed through Stevie's laundromat, lands in Toronto with a $938,000 cap hit um, to play on the third line with Joe Thornton and Alex Kerfoot uh, to Detroit, a 2022 fifth round pick. For their services, for their yes. laundry services. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like that. In the machine. I, I like it. I like it. I like, I like it's creative, but it also you know, it addresses some of the needs of the Leafs. It gets them a veteran guy that I mean, people here know what Tanner Pearson is and isn't at this stage of his career. And I think if the Canucks could realize something like that in a trade for Tanner Pearson, then yeah, I'm all in. Sign me up. So let's make that happen. Yes, I, I, I'll do my best. I will. Uh, for, <laughs> I will forward it to my contacts and um, have them ignore it. Um, <laughs> you're welcome, VanCast listeners, just providing a service over here. Well, I'm looking forward to next week because uh, big news or not, I mean, the trade deadline will yield things to talk about at the very least, whether the Canucks are active or, or whether they stand pat, and obviously uh, all the latest on the COVID situation, and we'll see if uh, they're that much closer to returning to the ice for a practice or two ahead of uh, a game. So uh, next week, we'll be able to turn our attention from COVID, although we'll still continue to monitor that situation closely here on the VanCast. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. We're working closer to the trade deadline, and we'll be all over it for you next week here at the VanCast at the Athletic and the Athletic.com.